Hey, well, good morning, Gretna. It's Rob again. Hey, let's let's talk about fresh produce. I can't get it off my mind. I spent about the last last night. Heather and I spent probably an hour, hour and a half cleaning turnip greens from out of the garden. And what a blessing! Isn't that a blessing and a half? Heather has worked so hard in this garden this year, and God has provided so much in this garden this year. Um, and as, as much as I find it to be a blessing that I get to go to Walmart really any time of year and buy tomatoes or green beans, wow, that's amazing. Um, you know, there's nothing quite the same as picking a tomato off the vine, right? It's not the same. So, something is lost over time as it kind of uh, is processed and stored and transported and kept cool in the refrigerator. A tomato is wonderful from the from the grocery store, but it's not the same as one you get at home, right? Doesn't have the same crunch, doesn't have the same flavor. There's something very, very special about that, and and when you see that, when you remember that, um, you remember how blessed you are to have that opportunity to eat that tomato, and you remember what you were missing. You remember what you were missing. But if you never see a fresh tomato or you never eat a fresh tomato, it's really easy to just kind of accept that the supermarket tomato, again, as wonderful as it is, is all there is, right? And that's just not true. That's just not true. As we get into the next four weeks, we're studying the book of Malachi. And the title of the series is, is Fresh Faith. And it, and it and the goal is simple. The goal is to try to help us see that though sometimes in our faith we accept the grocery store version, right? It resembles it. It's a blessing to have. It impacts our lives in, in wonderful ways. There's something it's missing that we have to be reminded of, that we have to return to, that we have to come back to this fresh faith that God has given us, just like a fresh tomato, there's something unique about it. Something, its flavor is incredible. Its texture is amazing, right? And there's something wonderful, inherently wonderful in this fresh connection to God, this fresh expression of our faith. But unless we remember that, unless we take time to focus on that, we become content with something that is good, but not great. And so to do that, we're going to look at the book of Malachi. As Malachi, the prophet, is writing, uh, this is the last book in the Old Testament. In fact, these are God's last words for 400 years before the time of Christ. The prophets were silent in this 400-year window of time. Malachi is the last to speak. And Malachi is writing roughly 30 years after the end of the Babylonian exile. That was a, a time in which the book of Daniel was written, was the exile. And, and it's when predicted by God that his people would be removed from their lands because of their inability to, to follow him, right? to be focused on him. And they've been removed from their lands, and they were for 70 years, just as God predicted. And then they returned under King Xerxes. They returned as, and the prophet Ezra led the people of God in the first wave back. And you could see that in the book of Ezra. And then closely related is the book of Nehemiah, 
who followed right afterwards. And what he did was rebuild the temple, lead the people of God in rebuilding the temple and rebuilding Jerusalem. And so as we read Malachi 20 years later, the people of God have been home. They've been home for nearly a generation. And they've had an opportunity to worship in the temple. They've had an opportunity to they, they, uh, make sacrifices every week. They've, they've kept the festivals and the festivities. And, and they are going through all the processes of what it looks like to live out their faith in God. And yet Malachi says, there's more to it than this. There's more to it than this. And, and you know, what the people of God, as we'll find out here in just a second, are discontented with what they're experiencing in their faith with God. Though they are home, there's a lot going on in the world outside of the temple. In our case, it would be outside of the church, right? The, the, the people, some of the people in the homeland are they're impoverished. Famine is, is running amok. And their enemies, in particular the Edomites, also who we're going to read about, are pressing in against them, trying to take lands and take things away from them, take away their possessions and their crops, and they're raiding them and, and pressing against them. So, yeah, they're home, but the life outside the temple doesn't feel wonderful. And so they're struggling. They're struggling to ask, God, where are you? God, do you love us? Right? Here we are doing all of the right things, and we're trying to be your people, and we're back in your homeland just as you promised. Shouldn't this be working out a little differently? And I think sometimes when we come to God, we think things are all going to work out perfectly. And when they don't, we ask ourselves, I don't under, we say to ourselves, I don't understand God. Is this really what it's supposed to be? And so let's, let's join the people of God in the book of Malachi as they kind of process this together. We're going to, today, just four verses, Malachi 1, verses 1 through 5, because honestly, I think it's enough to cover. Let's read. I'm reading out of the Christian Standard Bible, the CSB. It says this, a pronouncement, the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord. And yet you ask, well, how have you loved us? Wasn't Esau Jacob's brother? The Lord's declaration the Lord, this is the Lord's declaration. Even so, I loved Jacob, but I hated Esau. I turned his mountains into wasteland and gave his inheritance to the desert jackals. Though Edom says, we have been devastated, but we will rebuild the ruins. The Lord of armies says this, they may build, but I will demolish. They will be called a wicked country and the people of the Lord, the people the Lord has cursed forever. Your own eyes will see this, and you yourselves will say, the Lord is great even beyond the borders of Israel. The Edomites are, as we can gain from this, they are Esau's offspring. They are Esau's people. If you know the story of Jacob and Esau, they were both the sons of Isaac. And though Jacob was the younger son, he eventually gained the birthright of the oldest son. And it is through Jacob that the, the lineage of the people of God have come. And that the people, and that God has always said, you are my chosen people. Not because you're perfect, not because you're better than anybody else, but because I've chosen you, right? So you are chosen. You are my chosen people. And Esau was not. Those people were not his chosen people. And as the people of God are sitting here, they're, they're watching, again, back in their homeland, they're watching as Edom, Esau's people, are prospering. 
They're not having trouble finding food. In fact, if they want it, they just come take it from the Israelites, right? All while the people of God are suffering in the midst of this. And they're going, well, if you love us, you say you love us, but they're doing pretty good, <laughs> right? I see them over here doing pretty good. And I'm having trouble making sense of this. There's something there, but there, there's something they're not seeing in the moment. And this is totally normal for us as human beings. When we're in the moment, we are often blinded by what we're going through. We're unable to see beyond the weeds that we are in, right? We're able to, we're not able, it's kind of like um a deer in the cornfields right now, right? A deer comes running across the cornfield. He can't see out of that cornfield until he pops out on the other side. He doesn't know what he's running into or what he's going into. And it, and it, and it, it breeds fear and it breeds concern in us when we experience that. When the troubles of life, again, the people of God are in trouble here, don't allow us to see what's beyond. We're living through that some right now where we feel like things are kind of enveloping us and, the, and, and we don't know what to do about masks or no masks or gathering or no gathering or is this going to end or is it not going to end or when and what, why and how. And it feels like the weeds are way above our heads and we can't see out. But we can see somebody else doing okay. That's frustrating. But it negates the eternal nature of God's love. Remember, God has been faithful to his people here from the time, from the very beginning. Whether they deserved it or not, he has kept them safe and brought them forward. He has chosen them. He brought them out of Egypt in the book of Exodus. We see that story. Even though they were bumbling and complaining all the way across the desert, he still carried them across the desert. He carried through them, them through the time when they demanded a king, a human king, when God said, I, I will be your king. And they rejected him because of that. God was faithful anyways. Though he predicted there would be an exile, the Babylonian exile, he also predicted that he would bring them back home. And he's done that. Right, So he's, he's been faithful through eternity, but they're seeing others around them do well in the moment. And honestly, they're jealous. They're jealous. And they're going, if you love us, God, why can't we have that? Problem is they're trading what is perishable, as Paul will say in the book of Corinthians. We'll read that in just a second. They're trading. They're asking, why can't we have this perishable thing, wealth, Security, prosperity, but they're giving up the eternal commitment and faithfulness that God has for them. They're not seeing it because of the midst of the circumstances they're in, and they're comparing themselves to everybody else around them. Let's, let's read what Paul has to say about this. In 1 Corinthians 15, verses 50 through 53, he says, What I am saying, brothers and sisters, is this, flesh and blood perishable things, right? Our flesh and blood are perishable. The reality is we will, our time here on earth, our bodies will give out. They will fail, right? It says, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor can corruption inherit incorruption. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not fall asleep, but we will be changed in a moment, in the twinkle of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible 
and will be changed, for this corruptible body must be clothed with incorruptibility, and this mortal body must be clothed with immortality. Is that not the promise? The promise that God has laid out before us as his people, that his commitment to us and his, his renewal of us is eternal. It will last forever. Again, we're talking about thousands of years of God's faithfulness, that if, if we can take the long view, if we can get out of the weeds long enough to see the field that lays before us, we can see where God has been active in our lives and in the history of humanity since the very beginning of time. He has always been faithful to his people. He has chosen them. He has walked with them. He's been next to them. It's only when we're trapped in, the, in a given moment that we don't see that. And there's a tendency for us in our panic, in our fear, in our insecurity to wonder why our life is not perfect right now when somebody else seems to have it pretty good, but what they're investing in, the things that we're judging that on, right? We're judging it on what others have are things that are going to perish. They're going to die. God says to his people here, he says, look, you're looking at Edom and they have all these things and yes, they rebuild their country and they say that they can fight through anything. They can do anything. But at the end of the day, the Lord of armies is in charge. God is in charge. And they're not going to have wealth forever. They're not going to have power forever. They're not going to have those things forever. But I have promised you that you will have them forever. So why in the world are you comparing yourself to this? This is temporary. This will end. And yet what I have always offered you as the Lord is eternal. It will never end. God loves faithfulness because he offers faithfulness. He's faithful to us even when we don't deserve it. And he is deserving of all of our faithfulness. And isn't it interesting that it's easy to be faithful when things are going great, but really hard to be faithful when things are not. We see that happen in our human relationships. Uh, if I had a nickel for every time, I've, I've heard a story of, of spouses, right, in, in a time of difficulty, someone straying from their marriage vows, right, committing adultery because things weren't good. It's, it's kind of human nature. We kind of say, you know, what have you done for me lately? How is this, how is this good for me right now? When, when the reality is, that's not the question. Because right now is a moment, and eternity is forever. <laughs> and so our decisions, our relationships with each other, and more importantly with God, should not be based on what's happening right now because we reduce God's love. We reduce his faithfulness, that long-term permanent commitment he's made to us. We reduce its value. And it's a dangerous thing to do. And it's certainly not honoring of what he has given us. The other thing they're doing is they're frustrated because their expectations aren't being met. Remember, the exile has ended, right? And they've, they've, 
they've been returned at this point by Cyrus the Great in this most recent wave. Isaiah refers to him in Isaiah chapter 45. And in verses one through three, he calls him the anointed one, the Lord's anointed. The Lord has picked out this person to restore his people to the kingdom of Israel. And with that comes this idea that they are going to be restored in a certain way, that things are going to turn out beautifully and perfectly. I think sometimes when we come to God, we come to God at, at first believing that things are going to turn out a certain way. Like if, if I follow Jesus, God will make my life fabulous, right? He'll eliminate all the, the concerns or the issues or the problems. He'll eliminate my own personal issues that I bring to the table, right? Because as my son and I were reading this morning in the, in the book of Mark, Chapter 7, we were talking about the place where evil comes from. It, it doesn't come from what we put in. It comes from the inside, right? The evil comes from the man. And, and the truth is that we are all fallen <laughs> and we are all broken. And that sometimes the, and most often the bad things that happen in this world often come from people. Even from us as the people of God. But we have this idea that when we come to Jesus, suddenly those things are going to just disappear, that we're going to be able to successfully get out of our own way, and, and life is just going to work out beautifully. I'm going to not have to worry about having a nice car because I'm just going to have it. Or I want stability and security, financial stability and security. I want perfect health. Those are things that I want. I want that out of my life. But the idea that God is a, a, essentially a genie, right? That if we commit to following him, to let him out of the lamp, that he has to grant us three wishes is insane. <laughs> and yet we do it. We do it. And so when God doesn't grant those things, the desires of our hearts, right? When he doesn't grant those things, it's pretty easy to find yourself in a place where you're wondering because his expectations, the expectations you had for what this was supposed to look like. Maybe you've, maybe you've raised a family and your, your children that you've raised in the things of God have strayed. They have strayed. They have chosen not to follow him. They have chosen not to to make him their Lord and Savior, or they've chosen to try to remake God in their own image rather than trying to re have themselves remade in the image of Christ, right? Maybe, you know, you got married to somebody thinking, till death do us part, and it has imploded. Maybe you've laid out the plans of a lifetime, right, where you've kind of saved and scrimped and set aside and been ready because you're going to hit retirement. And when you hit retirement, things are going to be incredible. You're going to travel. You're going to go places. You're going to do stuff. And then your health suddenly goes south right after retirement. It's really easy in those moments when those expectations, those things we've kind of built up don't happen to wonder to wonder whether or not God really does love us. But this is, this is back to this perception of the temporary or the immediate moment 
and seeing it in light of the eternal. You know the story of Corey Ten Boom and her sister Betsy. They worked very hard during World War II and they lived in, in Holland and they worked very hard. They were Christian ladies and they worked very hard to help Jews escape the Nazis. At some point during the war, they were caught. They were caught and they were sent to Ravensbrück um, camp, concentration camp, for, the, for their task, for doing good, right? They were sent there. And when they came into the place, as, the, as their story goes in her, in her autobiography, they uh, were met as they moved into the concentration camp with three layers, uh, they described it, of straw beds where hundreds of women were sleeping in these kind of bunks that, that had been constructed for them. And they were, they were wooden frames with, with straw laid on top of them. And there wasn't enough in between each layer to sit up, right? So if you sat up, you bonked your head. And there were just, there was dirt and wailing and screaming. And if somebody got sick, guess what? If the person in the bunk above you got sick, it, it was probably coming your way, right? And it was just infested, just absolutely infested with filth and fleas. Fleas everywhere, biting them all the time. And Corey finds herself fighting this, this nausea, right? And, and, and this pain and this ugliness and this nastiness. And she's like, I can't take this anymore. Why? Why would God allow us to be here? That's a question she poses. Why would God allow this to happen to us? And says, how can we possibly live in such a place? How can we possibly survive here? And the, the biography records this conversation they had where Betsy, after being asked by Corey, how could we possibly do this, begins to pray. And as she comes out of her prayer, she says this. She says, Carrie, or Corey, he's given us the answer. Before we asked, he is always, as always, as he always does. In the Bible this morning, where was it? Read, read that part again. You see, they had, a, they had a Bible with them. They had a Bible that they had smuggled in with them into the concentration camp, something that, that I'm sure had they caught, they would not have been allowed to have. But but. Somehow they had made it past. Somehow they had made it past the guards and still had this Bible and they read it together every morning. And so Betsy recites this piece out of 1 Thessalonians 5, 14 through 18. He says, we exhort you brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle, comfort the discouraged, help the weak, be patient with everyone, see to it that no one repays evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good, for one another and for all. Rejoice always, pray constantly, and ready for this, give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Give thanks for everything. And Betsy says, give thanks for everything, regardless of what you're in. Don't compare yourself to what's going on with others. Don't be stuck in, in your expectations, not meeting up with what you thought they, they should, right? 
give thanks in all circumstances. And Corey's response is kind of like what I think most of us would be, would be like, such as what? What am I giving thanks for? Why am I giving thanks that I'm living in this place? Why am I giving thanks that I'm being eaten by fleas? Why am I giving thanks that I'm being tortured and held against my will and made to work in a concentration camp? Why give thanks that I could be killed any minute now? Why would I do that? And she goes so far as to say, and Betsy, quite frankly, not even God himself could get me to be thankful for fleas, for all of these fleas. And so Betsy says, look, be thankful that we got this Bible inside. As far as we know, it's the only one in here. And that could have only happened if God helped it happen. She says, be thankful that we're together. We could have been separated. And yet, we're able to still be together even in the midst of this mess. And then she says, be thankful that all of our beds are stacked up and that we're all packed in this, this tight, this closely together. You know why? Because that means more can hear this. More can hear what God has laid out. More can hear that we can be thankful and that we can prosper and we can make it through this no matter what. Not because of our own strength. We can't rebuild it all on our own, but because God is faithful, God is loving, and God is with us, we can do this. Be thankful for that. As time went on over the next, and so Corey said, okay, I can do that. I can try to do that. Well, over the next several weeks, Betsy came down with an illness and she wasn't able to go out and work. And so she would stay back and she would knit. Apparently she could knit super fast. And she would knit socks and repair things and pants and, and stuff while Corey would go outside and work in the concentration camp. And she started wondering something. Because in this time, they had been sharing the gospel and sharing the story of Christ and sharing what they were discovering about who their God is, this fresh renewal of their faith, right? And remembering who he is. And they, and they were sharing it with everybody. And, and, and Betsy left, was left asking herself, you know, the guards are never around. Because surely, if the guards were around, if they came into our sleeping quarters, this, this stack of nastiness and mess, if they came in here, they would stop this. They would overhear this and they would stop it, but they never come in here. And she, she one day hears this conversation be, between a guard or two guards, I believe. She, has this converse, she hears this conversation and one guard says to another, must have been a new guard or something, do you know why we don't go in there? Don't ever go in there. You don't want to go in there. And the new one says, why? Why don't we want to go in there? And the other guard says, the fleas. It is infested with fleas. I don't know about you, but when the there are things in life that are in my present circumstances that are that are driving me bonkers that are inflicting pain on me or those that I love or, or the, the world that I'm in, it's really, really hard for me to see God working in that. 
And I can only imagine all the things that they've dealt with, that Corey and Betsy were dealing with, how hard it was for them to see God working in the midst of all of this. <laughs> and yet to recognize that even fleas, the bane of their existence, was allowing them to complete the mission that God had laid out for them. I promise you, they did not expect God to work that way. And yet he did. Corey would leave the concentration camp and it's her stories and her memoirs if you've never read her story, right? It would have never, had she written it before it happened? I promise you it wouldn't have worked out that way. And yet the impact that she is leaving, the legacy she has left, demonstrates the faithfulness of God and will for generations to come. It is critical in our faith walk, if we really are going to experience the love of God, the strength of God, the presence of God, to remember that our God is a God of love and a God of faithfulness to us and that he desires the same in return. As you begin to ask questions this week or kind of work through what that looks like in, in each of your lives, try to, try to ask yourself, remind yourself where God has been faithful, right? As Malachi teaches his people. Try, and it, it's a try because it's hard to see naturally for us. Try to see where God has worked in your life in things that you thought were miserable in the moment before. And try to see where he's, he could be working amazing things out in what might seem miserable right now. Because our God loves us. He is faithful to us. And he would never leave us. And he would never forsake us. God bless you.